13 minutes it is after 8 p.m. It's our Thought Leader Thursday segment here on Metro FM Talk. And today uh, we have the pleasure of uh, having part two of our discussion with Dr. Aslam Dasu. We kicked things off last week and uh, we're talking about his uh, background uh, as uh, I guess an activist in his own right, uh, a club hoya, if I can uh, say that. And uh, of course, uh, his uh, passion for equitable healthcare access. We also touched on the NHI um, and uh, South Africa's vaccination program. And I think that's when uh, the clock uh, probably wasn't in our favor. And I think that's a perfect moment for us uh, uh, to maybe kick things off on that score. Uh, Dr. Dasu, good evening and welcome. Good evening. Uh, good to be with you again. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much uh, for coming through for part two of our discussion. I want us to kick things off where where you started, uh, I guess, in the direction you went towards, towards the end of our conversation last week, around the NHI, around, you know, um, health system strengthening broadly, um, and some of your ideas and the ideas of the PHF on that particular score. Sure, and I think that's a timely question, uh, given that we've just heard the budget Indeed. Uh, yeah. from the minister. Uh, now, it's important that we understand that the budget seems to have been following a, a pattern when it comes to the public health care system. And it has been a continual pattern of defunding. Now, this is not a, a treasury problem per se. It is a, a management problem in, in, the, in the public health care system by both the national and the provincial departments of health where we find that, uh, and, and of course, just to make it clear, that, that it's staffing costs that, that are the bulk of the, that, that forms the bulk of the budget. And the staffing in, in the public health care system has been steadily skewed over the years to reducing, uh, through frozen posts, the number of, of, of qualified professional personnel in favor of administration and clerical positions now this is not a a defined thing that you can that you can put your finger on different provinces do it differently but the net effect of all of this has been a degrading really of the public health care system unfortunately the budget this time around did not you know kind of address that problem and one understands that in the in in these straightened times economically and with the pandemic, it must have been a very difficult thing to, to even think about doing. But what was really disappointing was a, a lack of focus on the need to strengthen the system now in, mm. the, in the light of the pandemic, especially given that we are going to be embarking on this truly ambitious program of vaccination, uh, the bulk of which will fall on, on the public health system. And second, that before we get to sufficient immunity in the population, that we are going to experience a third and perhaps a fourth mm. wave of, of severe infection, which will put tremendous strain on the health system. And we've seen what happened in the first two waves. It will be worse this time. So a failure to focus on, on a massive shift in resources and investment in infrastructure and on qualified personnel. Now, in anticipation of that, was quite disappointing. 
you know, Dr. Dasu, I mean, when you look at that, um, and, I, and I sit here as a layperson who knows very little about uh, public health care, but um, I mean, when you look at the numbers, one in a context where, as you're saying, you want to build the capability and strengthen the system uh, to respond to, I guess, uh, any other pandemics even beyond COVID-19 and have a system that's ready and resilient enough to weather the storms uh, of those pandemics. Um, and then on the other, you've got uh, a situation where, you know, it's, it's seen as okay to, I guess, you know, uh, continue this path of defunding the system um, at considerable present and future cost. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, uh, what do you make, I guess, of the rationale that there has been to say, look, we needed to make these cuts um, in order, I guess, to balance some of uh, the other macro considerations, chief among those, of course, um, the management of debt? Sure. Look, I mean, I think you've put, you've put your finger on it. I'm sure that was the the overriding consideration, certainly in the Treasury, which doesn't have carte blanche to just chop and change, as you know. The competing demands of the government have to be met. Um, you know, there's not just healthcare, there's education, there's other social services, there's defense. And so we understand these things. There's also a huge layer of inefficiency in state expenditure. And a, a greater focus on that would have helped. We know that they've tried in the past and there's been pushback from, from locally entrenched interests uh, who feed off that, that inefficiency, uh, to put it euphemistically. Um, and so, so I, think, I think the Treasury faced a, a serious dilemma here and, and really couldn't come out with, it, with, with anything else. Uh, it would have required a, a concerted executive government uh, pulling in, in the same direction. And you and I and all your listeners uh, are in no doubt, I'm sure, that pulling in the same direction in this government is a hard ask at the best of times. So I think we, we were stuck with what we've got, uh, as insensible as it sounds. And um, it's going to cause a problem, I think, in the future. Let me give you two quick examples of how that will be. Well, I, I mentioned the one, just the capacity of state health services to cope with the ongoing pandemic. And, and interestingly, they've, they've uh, allocated the budget for vaccines over two years, this 10 billion rand, which is really the, the costing for the full complement of vaccines, which means there's a tacit understanding that we are not going to be able to provide vaccination to the requisite number of people during the course of this year, which then makes the likelihood of further waves very high. All right? That's the, 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 the major mm. consideration about why they've probably done this. But the other problem sure. that will occur is that you have a health a personnel cohort in the country that is extremely stressed at this mm. point. Now, Previous endeavors to fix up the salaries and the career progression, um, you know, have, have, have yielded some, some good fruit. I think sure. people have now paid, been, are being paid at reasonable rates, uh, still much lower than, than counterparts uh, in similar countries, but still at, 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 at reasonable rates, which has, which has kind of diminished the prospects of industrial action in that mm. sector. However, the, the failure to envisage and to incorporate the, the occupation-specific 
remuneration for these health professionals in the next year is going to add to their stress. Now, we mm. sit and we, we look at all these health workers and we celebrate them for stepping up in the most awful of circumstances, putting yeah. their lives on the line. Dr. Dasu? And we salute, sorry. D- yes. Dr. Dasu, can I make just a quick suggestion? Sure. Uh, I want us to take a quick spot break now because I think when sure. you touch on uh, the OSDs and the implication that that's going to have on the type of healthcare service in many far-flung parts of our country, um, I think let's let, let's maybe take the spot break now and then give you a opportunity to be able to expand on that at length. Sure. So we're going to take a brief break now and uh, when we come back, we continue with Dr. Dasu. 23 minutes it is after 8 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk and uh, it's our Thought Leader Thursday segment. And uh, this Thursday we uh, have the fortune of uh, having a a second part to our conversation with Dr. Aslam Dasu uh, from the uh, Progressive Health Forum. And Dr. Dasu, uh, you're making a very important point um, uh, towards the tail end uh, of our discussion just before we had to go to the break, which is around the implications that I guess what many people are calling the trimming of the fat when it comes to the public sector wage bill, especially the occupational specific dispensations, which are really about, I guess, incentivizing people to move to areas that ordinarily they wouldn't move to uh, and be able to provide uh, uh, the necessary skills uh, and place those at the disposal of those communities. And you were saying that, you know, um, thinking of that, that's going to have extensive implications in the next while for our public health system. How so? Sure. So so I think the budget has uh, brought to the fore this, this difficult fiscal constraint of, of the public wage. And, um, and one understands that you know, something needs to be done about it. So just looking in the health sector, what the implications of not, uh, you know, providing for increase in, in salaries, uh, especially at this time, you have a, like I said, a health professional cohort extremely stressed. Um, and, and we have celebrated their efforts, and we do so on a continual basis. That is acknowledged. But then to prevent them from getting salary increases on which many of them depend, is only going to increase the stress, but secondly, may have the unintended consequence of increasing migration of those skills out of the sector. Now, this is important because you have to, you'll accept that health skills are probably, you know, the most mobile of Mm. any skills. People can go into the private sector, they can go abroad, and South African trained health professionals are, are, are you know, highly sought after. Yeah, they certainly do everywhere. go abroad, yeah. And, and, and so this unintended consequence uh, does loom large. It occurs every time they stress on the system. Surprisingly, and perhaps um, not so surprisingly, the, 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 what we haven't noticed is an increased migration out of the public health system as a result of the pandemic so far. Maybe we'll, we'll find that out later when we review. But there isn't anything obvious right now. And I think that's testament to the ethical remit of, of these healthcare workers to stay in place and, and help as much as possible. That may not last. And, and with that comes a further deterioration then in, in the public service, so in the public health system. So what I would have liked to have seen, and I'm not sure that it was possible, of course, Treasury knows best, but what I would have liked to have seen, the shift in funding, first, to employ thousands there are literally thousands of qualified nurses and doctors sitting there looking for jobs. But because the public health system cannot absorb them, 
they can't find it. So if there was a, a specific focus on that and pulling these personnel into the system, we would have done two things. One, we would have reinforced the system to meet the important current challenges. But second, we would have provided a much broader base to the country to access basic health services as required or as, as, as they're entitled to in the Constitution, get access to services which have been attenuated over time. Mm. I mean, the situation in rural areas, for example, is just atrocious. And, and the OSD is, is properly structured to incentivize movement of people there. And it, it takes money, of course, and I understand, and you, you would know better than I, how difficult that is within the, within the constraints we currently have. But imagination mm. was, sure. was sorely lacking here. And I don't, again, blame the Treasury. I think that should have come from health and, mm. and from people and health policy people uh, to, to offer Treasury an approach on that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I so, guess, so that has you know... Maybe maybe that's my next makes for a perfect segue to my next question, which is, you know, have we been too narrow in our discussion and in the scope of our discussion in thinking about some of the preventative sides of the healthcare system? Uh, mm-hmm. So a lot of people often say our healthcare system uh, uh, focuses disproportionately on the curative side of things. But if you think about some of the other line ministries and budget votes that are critical to a preventative type of approach to healthcare water and sanitation, social development, um, and many of the other aspects that um, are critical to an environment that prioritizes the preventative drivers of a very healthy nation. Uh, what do you make of those? Sure. So I think, I think that's a very good uh, approach to this. First, the, the health system, as you know, is, is kind of divided, okay, into a public and a private system. The curative part sure. is really emphasized in the private system. The public system... From, from the inception of democracy, has, has been reorientated toward a primary health care approach. So mm. there is a strong preventative, promotive, and, and primary health care element to it. It is deteriorating, unfortunately, but that's another matter. But mm. the system is geared publicly toward that. So that's the first point. The second point on the, on the other line functions of government that impact on that, Sure. I think the, the, social, the social grant system has certainly allowed for better nutrition. Sure. So, so that allows for, for, you know, the prevention of disease, especially in children. Uh, in the, the school feeding system, for example, has, can demonstrably mm. show the, the improvement, the significant improvement in stunting uh, in children. Which is, which is critical because stunting affects performance later in life. Mm. And so we've been able to make that. Of course, water sanitation helps. But in all of those, we are, we are noticing a further deterioration. Water, sanitation, housing, even the school feeding schemes, which were cut when the lockdown happened. Mm-hmm. And when you cut that to people who sit on incipient malnutrition, and, 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 and the kids do not have access to the same caloric intake as they were getting at school. It's a very quick uh, jump to a malnourished status again. So, so, so again, the lockdown was too blunt. It didn't pick that up in time. And we spent several months 
before some level of, of feeding was started again. So these shocks to the system mean, and, 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 and the system crumbling under it reveals the lack of resilience in these policies. So generally, while we can say the other line functions are important to the overall health of the nation, uh, exigencies like the pandemic or, mm. you know, other shocks uh, like state capture, you know, uh, just wipe out all those gains. And, and again, leave it to the health system to absorb the increased pathology arising from that while simultaneously reducing its capacity to do so. And this is a death spiral, as, as you mm. know. So there needs so. to be a fundamental shift in how we govern. Really. Mm. Talk, maybe, maybe, you know, just as we wrap up, and, and uh, it's always unfortunate that, you know, time just seems to fly when you have these conversations. Um, two elements to the question. The one is, with your reading of the context, I mean, you do away with the school feeding program. You, you reduce uh, below the inflation rate uh, or, you know, in negative real terms, social grants. Um, and you, it triggers so many other things, both in the healthcare space and outside of it, and at a psychosocial level more broadly. Uh, uh, what's your, I guess, expectation of how that is going to manifest itself um, at a political level? But also, I think the, the other dimension of it is, of course, uh, how that is going to manifest itself in terms of some of the things that you're talking about, stunting, uh, you know, uh, weak learning outcomes and many of the other spillover effects. Uh, that arise from from austerity, as we've seen uh, in many other parts of the world. Sure. So, so let me let, let me answer this quickly in in in, in three in, in three phases. One is that I think politically there's there's going to be some explosive event at some point in the future when a threshold of insufficiency um, and inadequacy of of uh, provision to the people is reached. Is brief, mm. and 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 we are on. We are certainly on that. Ticket. There's no there's no suggestion that no, we might not get there because we'll be able to do one or other thing. That trend has been growing for for some time, and it seems quite solid. And I think the political powers that be are not alive to it sufficiently because they're so engaged in 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 trying to maintain their political positions. So that's the first thing. Secondly. I think the, 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 the fallout of the below inflation increases in social grants and, and spillover effect, as you mentioned, are going to be felt very, very deeply by people, which, of course, relates to the first point, until they reach a point of, of you know, just in, in, intolerance for it. And, and that, you know, is, is anyone's guess when that might happen. But the, the elections coming up shortly may start giving indicators for that. Mm. Then, then lastly, our approach to the pandemic, uh, particularly now that we have embarked on vaccination, is, is very important to get us beyond the emergency phase of the pandemic so we can start focusing mm. on these matters. I'll tell you, though, that the risks that we face just with that program are enormous. You know about viral variants, and they might just escape the vaccines we've got. Uh, we've got a great deal of vaccine hesitancy. Vaccine mm-hmm. supply is also constrained globally. So these are, these are big risks. We have capacity constraints, and we've got corruption in the system, which will increase those risks. We have 
social and economic deterioration that's occurring as we speak and doesn't seem to be able to be you know, brought under control. And lastly, this is not just a failure of imagination, but it is a failure of leadership. And, and those who, you know, um, stand, put their hands up to lead the country has to understand that it's not just mm. their charisma that is important to the people. Sure. You know, mm. they need to do a lot more. And we don't have anything on the horizon that gives one confidence that we are going to have that anytime yeah. soon, unfortunately. But Tough environment say, indeed. Let me just say that I think pandemics through the ages have mm. revealed that it's when the people embrace the consequences of the pandemic and, sure. and, and, and what needs to happen that we get over it. So I yeah. have faith in our people, and I think we will get there with the difficulties we have, but it may be in a very changed country mm. that we'll come mm. on. Dr. Aslam Dasu, uh, uh, thank you once again for your very uh, insightful perspectives, uh, not just on the world of healthcare, but I guess uh, our political economy more broadly. And uh, I think you would share that uh, sentiment by Arundhati Roy that uh, in many ways this pandemic is a portal. Um, and the big question I guess many of us will be asking is a portal to what? Thank you very much, Dr. Dasu. You're Dr. Aslam Dasu, a physician, activist and a convener of the Progressive Health Forum and uh, our thought leader on this Thursday. We're going to